0: So I want to talk about two things today but I want to start here again that there's a commitment that Christ has of building his church of building me and you that has not changed God is still committed to building us he's committed to building me to become like him he's committed to building my brother my sister he's committed to building my marriage he's committed so 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 that is assured that God is committed to building us and and for me, one of the things that, that are in my heart, even as we pray today, something I felt yesterday that is quite big, is that God is determined that we're in a season of breaking out. as LSA. It's a season. And a season is determined by God. You know? A season is determined by God. That means God begins to activate things that have been lying dormant. Oh, people usually see this. You know when it's winter, grass becomes funny. I've been fixing grass at my house. So the grass had like bad patches. And then rain came. Because of the season that had changed, my grass looks better. But I had to work with the grass. I had to cut it right. I had to ask the guy, don't cut it low. Just cut it right. So there was my participation in making sure that the thing looks like it's supposed to look. So a season requires us to do certain things. Amen. So I'm just going to take a a page from Kegan's space to get you guys going, because you need to go study. You need to prepare yourself for mission. So Keegan used this graphic last week. I didn't change a lot of things. I just put a dot there. That's not me there. This is the 1700s. I want to talk about certain young men. Certain young men, these young men were amazing. Actually, today, there are churches that these young men, actually, I was shocked. John Wesley was 30 when he died. He served God a very short time. I was shocked myself. I was like, shucks. So much work that he produced. How long did he do it? Anyway, I want to talk about some young men. One of them is an old man. There are two old men that are around here before 1500s. I'm just making you guys, this graphic must begin to come alive. You must begin to go study things. So I want to encourage you by, by pointing at these men. So there are these ones. My, my, my story is that the impact one makes on others by fulfilling the mission of their day and generation. The impact. I want to show you a bit, a pip, an impact that one makes, just you. These guys were ordinary guys. You. And they were in your, your age here. Right? They were in university, actually. actually. You're older than them. They were teenagers. At the time they started trouble when they started trouble so there was this old man he was one of the first guys who wanted people to he didn't do it like Tyndale Tyndale went into the Hebrew he just took the Vulgate which was in Greek and started translating it in English he just wanted his people to read the word he said people cannot read Greek I'm going to translate the Bible And he taught his, actually he didn't finish the work. His disciples, when he had died, finished the work. His name is John Wycliffe. He lived, what, 54 years? I want you to count this. He lived 54 years. He looks old in those pictures. But (laughs) maybe those days people grew faster. I don't know. He looked old in pictures. So it's John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe left a lot of writing, even though the Roman Catholic burned some of the stuff. There's something he left, and then the guys who were discipled by him took his writings and gave them to this guy
1: So John Hurst was stirred up. I mean you see, they almost leave around. He was younger when he died. But this is Hurst.
0: He was burned at the stake. A lot of things that just this was just hectic, he was just a destruction in the church of his day. Go read about him. So there are guys, they used to call his people Hesites. They 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 hated these are guys who were persecuted and chased away. If you know, you are living in Devon. They kill your pastor, right? And then they chase you out. So they didn't just kill your pastor, they make sure that you no longer live in Devon. So they used to live in Prague. And Prague used to be like a a crossroad in in Europe at the time. So it would be nice to to read about this guy. If you want to read about him, those two guys, you'll find them in this book.
1: Those two guys, Wycliffe and John Hurst,
0: you'll find them in this book. And it's on special right now. It's 100 and some change. It's a very expensive book, but it's 100 and some change right now. You'll read about their story but I'm trying to connect dots here so that you can understand certain things. So Hers these guys who are being chased away from Prague, they land in Germany. So they run away so much, they land in Germany,
1: and they meet this guy, Count Zinzendorf.
0: He was a very rich guy, a noble. He had inherited land from his, you know noble people inherit stuff. They just inherit stuff. And there was a church that was there was a Lutheran church that was planted by the Lutheran guys in the place that he actually had landed. So he accommodated these running guys.
1: And these running guys began a group called the Morovians. And these guys were
0: the first ones to actually determine to do missionary work to get out of Europe and Germany and actually go out to preach the word. I'll tell you a bit about them later. One of the trips they were having in, 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 in their mission, they
1: met this guy. This is the founder of the Methodist Church. This guy. Who actually lived 30 years. I was shocked by this. I mean, you, you meet the Methodist Church everywhere today.
0: I mean, so God doesn't really care about time, eh? He can do a whole lot of work in a virtual space of time. When he he was in university, he started the Holiness Club, or they called it the Holy Club. Basically, in Europe, people were very bad. You know when people are bad? That holiness was the thing that these guys were battling for. Even around this time, there were other guys that were preaching the word of God. Do you know the, 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 the Salvation Army? There was a man named William Booth, He was also around this time. They were trying to clean England at the time of all the filth of ungodliness that was actually in the city. So the story between these two is that the Moravians were actually traveling by ship. That's why I put them there. So he went on a mission, this one, when he was not saved. Remember, then Christianity was a career. To be a priest was a career. So he had gone to school to be a priest, you know. And he was going on a mission, and they were in a boat, a big boat, I guess, going to U.S. to preach. And then the boat was, you know, the sea do, does its thing. Eh? When it was doing its thing, he was very scared. He thought he was going to die, this guy.
1: And then these followers of this guy
0: were chilled in the boat that was rocking like this They were just chilled. And he asked them, why are you guys not afraid? And this guy said, why should we be afraid? We know who we worship. We know who cares for us. And we're on a mission for him. We don't have to worry. Do you know Jesus? Imagine, they were asking a guy who was going on a mission. And then he discovered from there that he hasn't actually had an encounter with Jesus. When he went back to England, he actually joined their Bible study. These guys believe that you can only be transformed by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Though they were not speaking in tongues, they believed that you need to be filled with the Spirit to transform. The Moravians carried that. You see, Methodists beginning to be established, it was these guys. And these guys came from these guys. And these guys were influenced by these guys. Amen. So when you look at that timeline, it's not disconnected. You can find stories of how. These guys were connected to these guys, connected to these guys, connected to these guys. And how the grace of God made sure that you find someone who can actually impact you. And you get the impartation that God requires. So I want to encourage you, Hess and Wycliffe here, if you want to know Zinzendorf, it's the only thing I've read here. I think God bought, I bought this just for that guy. It's the first chapter, you read Zinzendorf, you kind of stop and be like, sharks. I, I haven't done nothing for God. This, these guys are crazy. These guys are crazy. I'll, I'll tell you a bit about them later,
1: but imagine
0: 200 years from now, you could be somewhere in a PowerPoint somewhere. People talking about these group of people who began to pioneer something, and they participated in it. OK, So so this is the context. So, I want you to think about you living in 2000 and born in 1981, living in 2020, 2023. Is it 2023? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm thinking about a lot of dates right now. So, kingdom humanity, that's what we're doing in 2023. Amen. What we're doing now in the timeline. It's our conviction eh? that God is adorning the church. That God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. I want us to keep on rehearsing these things. I realize how powerful this is when you say to someone who is not you. (laughs) It's different when you say to a different group that God is adorning some and explain to them God is putting order,
1: arrangement in the church. Amen.
0: And that God is putting our things into proper order and reading these scriptures that we are the new Jerusalem, coming out down from heaven, a bride prepared and adorned for a husband, that God is putting order, he's decorating us, he's beautifying us, he's making us look like Christ. He's taking off the old humanity and putting on the new humanity that is in, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. We must be comfortable with mentioning these things humanity, anthropos. You know? We must be comfortable to mentioning this. We must be comfortable in mentioning that we want to become the word in the flesh. I want to become the word in the flesh. I want to be the word in the flesh. And we are comfortable with Jesus being the word in the flesh, right? We all declare he was the word in the flesh. Now it's our turn to become that very same. And we must declare that kingdom humanity is coming to make that a reality. It's an anointing that is coming to ensure that the word becomes flesh. It becomes tangible. It can be seen. Amen. So, that's what I want to get to today.
1: So, activating the mission. Carl.
0: So, kingdom, mission, activation. I want to I I be on activation a bit today because that's what we experienced this weekend, and that's what Robert is experiencing in, in UAE, and I want to talk a bit about that. I want to talk about two things, mission and sacrifice, and mission, change, and transformation. I want to talk about these two things, and I want us to really, really think about our lives. Think about our lives. So, who's going to read for kick? Can you read for us the scriptures? You have your mic. So when to talk about Jesus' mission and sacrifice, how did Jesus perceive his own mission and sacrifice? He's the first one who actually gives us a peep on how to engage mission. Amen? So let's read Matthew 16. You can open up. Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25.
2: Okay, verse 24 and 25. So Matthew 16, from verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must... Deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it.
0: Amen. Do you read that again, please.
2: Then Jesus said to his disciples, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it."
0: Amen. So I want to just talk about attitudes, about mission inside of what Jesus says. Sometimes as believers, because we want to have a particular kind of life, we forget that the first invitation that we get, we're invited to mission. We're invited to a mission of following Christ, of taking up the cross, and actually journey with him. And the interesting thing that Jesus is actually saying, something is going to display before them very soon. He was gonna take up literally the cross and actually go die on it to fulfill a mission of dying for mankind. So he keeps saying this thing. I mean, it's repeated many times in the scriptures where he's saying, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. So there is a particular consideration we must have. What is my cross? Have I denied myself? How am I denying myself? Who is self? Who is that old? Who is this? That I'm denying. Can I quantify? him? Because Jesus is saying the condition of following me is this guy must be denied.
1: And the mission must be taken up.
0: And then you can follow me. It's almost like he says you have to be qualified to follow me. The qualification is deny yourself take up the cross which is the will of God for your life and follow me that's only the basis of being able to follow because Jesus is meant to actually fulfill the will of God he's saying my food is to do of the the will of him who sent me so here is Jesus's pattern and he's saying you must commit to the same pattern so this is a reminder to say look We are called by God to actually pick up the will of God. That means we must have a burden to identify my cross. What is my cross? What is my burden? What is that thing that makes me qualify to look exactly like Jesus? What is that place that I can alone be there and everybody is gone and I'm still saying, yeah, this is it, God. What is that thing that even if we abandon you, you know, Not just strangers, Megan. I'm talking about me. We abandoned you. And you still say I'm cool with this. This is my portion. This was the attitude around the cross. What is the will of God that you are willing to pursue? And fully aware that some people around me may disappear, but I'll pursue this. For their benefit. That's how hectic the cross is. It's not like you're pursuing because you're saying, well, they abandoned me, I'll show them. This is not show them. This is, I will do it for them. That they may be redeemed. So the character of the cross is not like that attitude of the world. I'm going to show them. It's I'm going to do so that they may be redeemed. So we need to go back and look at the character of the cross. So that we may know how to pursue the will of God. Imagine he was praying for the very people that were persecuting him. So whenever we say, take up the cross. There are attitudes that come with carrying the cross. Redemptive, reconciliation, forgiveness, endurance, being relational with people who are denying you.
1: The cross. So what
0: is the will of God in your life? And are you embracing the attitudes of the cross? Christ-likeness in carrying it. You know sometimes we do complain when we're carrying the will of God. You guys know that. That means we are not walking in the humanity of Christ with our cross. And we feel it's legitimate to complain. We feel it's justified for you to cry about how hard this is. But according to the word of God, it's not justified. There has to be a lamb attitude. So mission requires us to carry the cross like Jesus carried the cross. Carry the will of God like Jesus can. Sacrifice your life. Lay your life. Give it to God. Just like Jesus did. You can't give it and take it back. You know, we are humans are like that, you know. We can give things and take them back. back, Bring it back. I can handle this. So, that's the first thing about mission. So, there is no way God is going to accept our sacrifice if it doesn't have the attitudes of the cross. Let me repeat that. There's no way God is going to accept your sacrifice my sacrifice if the attitudes around it are not christ-like when he was carrying the cross let me give one example attitude jesus knew that god was going to raise him from the dead he even says i'm going to sow my life you know he knew he was going to be raised so when we make sacrifices what attitudes do we carry that god will do with that sacrifice What is God's part in that sacrifice? That laying down your life, that cross-taking. It could be, it could be changing Solon on on, on Solon today. Changing Solon Saturday. He had to watch the kids while we were on mission. He was on mission. There was no way we were going to actually do that without Solon offering himself.
1: Now the question is, what is the attitude in that?
0: Are we together, guys? There's going to be a lot of requirement to sacrifice. But the issue would be it glorifies God if the attitudes are Christ-like. Not because it's done. So you don't want to be like the other thief on the cross. eh? Maybe we'll ask you to drive to Richards Bay. You are busy driving.
1: You are like the thief in the cross. You know the other thief?
0: That one was protesting about things. Dude, get us down. you That's what you're saying. Hey, dude, get Get, you get down, get us down, let's get out of here. So, the cross attitudes. So, we have to all go back and look at our way, the way we offer ourselves to God. What are the attitudes that go? It could be in your marriage. carrying the will of God inside of your own marriage. What are the attitudes as you actually do certain things in there? In friendship, at work, whatever it is. The question is now is, that's the cross. And the cross is the will of God. How am I actually carrying that? So, sacrifice myself the attitudes of the cross, like the Lord carrying the cross. Now, let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter, the, the, we're looking at the, how they engage the mission, right? Acts chapter 4, verse
2: 32 to 37. Okay, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind, No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet.
0: Man, I want the story to just sink in a bit. It's interesting that when Luke writes about the mission, He first starts at the point where he says they were one heart. He talks about their state. The state of their mind and the state of their spirit before he even gets to the state they were in and the actions they were doing. He's talking about the attitude that was behind the whole thing that they did. He speaks about their attitude. They were in one mind and in one spirit. And he begins to talk about their attitude they are care for one another. No one said this is mine. I, mean, I grew up with brothers. I know those who grew up with. You know there are people we call in Zulu on It's my thing. Those who on toyami, you know, it's my thing. You know those who are siblings. You know those guys, right? I mean, they will just tell you, "Do not touch that thing. It's mine." It's it's either a t-shirt or a jean or whatever. We both can fit in the jean, and I need the jean, but. The brother is saying, do not dare touch that thing. And there was like
1: six of us, boys. Can you imagine?
0: So here are these guys in the book of Acts who always say, Lord, make us like that church, oh God. Make us that that church. Okay, you want that church. Here is the first issue. They were they were they were one mind, one spirit. They actually
1: do not own their things like Toyami Attitude. It is your car, we don't deny that, but the way of owning it was different. It meant other people had access to that car, that house, that money.
0: It's something I used to do. I used to be a secretary of an organization one day. I used to take people's money. That was just me. I was always like that. No, no, it wasn't tax collectors. It was like, guys, we, 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 need, we, we need to have a budget to help students so, so that we can have food. Everyone that came money from home, bring it to the secretary. He's going to sort you guys out. It was just an attitude. And maybe just just me being me. But the idea was we, there was a collective care. That means the, 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 the 300 friends you came from home with, it was ours now. It wasn't yours. So that's the other attitude. So they were one mind, one spirit, right? Then the second issue was that they owned resources collectively to make sure that no one had need
1: amongst them. It's interesting then it
0: goes on to talk about then how the, the gospel spread. And it speaks about how they actually sacrifice to actually make the gospel spread. You know, we, we, whenever we talk about Barnabas, we don't talk about when we first introduce in the story. The first time you hear about Barnabas that goes and looks for Paul, it's when he was selling his house. I don't know what that means for you, but the idea is that there is no mission advance without sacrifice. So if we want the word to go all out to people, there is a level of sacrifice. I'm not sure what it means for you. I know what it means for me. There is a level of sacrifice that is required to
1: make mission move. To make the word of God be heard.
0: To actually enable God to do miraculous things among us. Amen. So, those are other guys to actually go into. So we're in mission, and this is the guys we have to look into we look at jesus we look at these guys now let's go to my favorite guys the morovians i'll tell you a story because i can't read the whole book to you i'll tell you maybe three stories from the book so maybe you're gonna be excited to go read it so one of the things they did actually still even being, being, being done today but it, it ended one the first one ended years back they, 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 were so, they so wanted to share the gospel amongst themselves, to other people who haven't heard the gospel, they would sell themselves to slavery. So two young men determined that those slaves need to hear the gospel. So we're going to sell ourselves to be slaves so that we can testify of Jesus. And I was like, shucks. I read it twice. I was like, What? This is how much passion they had, how much excited. I I began to think about, what is my excitement about the gospel of Jesus? I was like, am I not excited about Jesus that I will just, you know, begin to do stuff that has passion to care so much that I will sacrifice my freedom that I may share my joy of salvation with someone.
1: Their level of sacrifice.
0: And it spoke to the culture of that day. In their day, slavery was normal. And slaves would not have heard the gospel if the Moravians didn't just say, you know what, you can own me as a slave. And these were white guys. (laughs) Maybe you think these are black guys. These are white guys who are saying, I want to be a slave so I can actually share the gospel with those black people who are slaves. I tell you, read this thing, you're going to lose your mind, I tell you. So that's the first story. The second story is quite interesting. It says, do it marriage. You are not allowed to marry until you knew what God had called you to do. They just had that rule. It was like a rule of some sort. But you know, do, do you really know what God has called you? Find out that first. Then you can actually bring a woman along. It's like a thing they did. They put so much requirement on young men to have passion for the Lord and be clear about what God had in mind for them that it became normal among them. It wasn't like a rule written down. But it became a norm among them that the will of God is priority for you. That when you commit to other things, the will of God is the determiner of what you commit to. Because what if you marry that guy who's going to sell himself to slavery, Courtney? You understand this thing? I'm just saying that if you're not clear about the will of God, you know, things might get crazy. I mean, these days, they used to travel many days. I know today we just fly. Those days a boat from Europe to US is months. So you must know what you are getting yourself into. So there's another story. You can go read it. Another story was one around where they accomplished the book of X reality. At some point there was quarrel among them. You know believers from time to time they misbehave. We are believers, we? we know ourselves. So at some point there was misbehavior among them. They actually sat down and began to actually deal with the issues that were actually causing trouble. And they began to actually say, from this day forward, we're going to actually pray and actually deal with these issues and pray for each other. And then they started something new. That means if Carl was supposed to go and sell himself in slavery, we'll fund this ticket. So I'm a carpenter, I work, right? So I will work my thingy. Because I'm working to be part of the mission that Carl is going to. So it begins to connect those who are at home to the mission abroad. Because their work was not about their livelihood alone. They worked to actually finance the mission. It was like a standard thing. Actually, if you go to where Morovians are, you will see there'll be an economy around. Every time you see a Moravian church, there's an economy that exists around it. In Pennsylvania, US, they actually built a town the steel town, you know, is Pennsylvania. The Bethlehem Steel Company was built around the Morovians. And their job was, I want to be, when I, they used to do kind of craft like bells, like they were very productive. What made them productive is that the guy who was working felt like he was in the mission as the guy who was out there. They were literally connected to the mission. And the guy who was out there had a duty to write, I have sold myself into slavery. It's my first day I've spoken to full slaves. The Lord is continuing with his grace. So that was two-way. So you would do the thing and you would communicate to the guys back to say, hey, here's what your belt selling is doing here. There was an obligation because he made sure they were part of the mission. They were part of the mission. You know, their story was such that uh, Zinzendorf was able to move around different denominations at the time, and they used to hate him for that, because he would put the Methodists in one place, Lutherans, Catholics, and everything, and say you guys have to love each other. So his story is quite amazing because he he he, he examples the kind of daring spirit. You don't even know he his inheritance he spent it on mission. They actually started businesses. Because they were realizing, hey, the entertainment is running out. We need to start businesses. They were very business-minded, very productive people, and they loved God. One last thing that they did. They started what they call a hundred-year prayer. So after that meeting they had where they were dealing with issues, they started segmenting themselves that they will pray all day. So this couple and that couple will pray at this hour, next one, the next hour so they had this 24 hour prayer that they were doing so you would offer yourself which hour you want to take because they were praying for the mission so there was never a time where there was no prayer that was happening for the Moravians it
1: started around that time it ended after 100 years where they stopped the history of the church is very interesting if you read the story you will definitely inspired. Amen And these guys are the ones that converted John Wesley. And today you have the Methodist Church. And the
0: interesting thing about John Wesley, his mom was a very methodical person. Imagine that mom who kept on teaching his children how to actually live life. He became an influence in how they pioneered the gospel. Yes, they do fight, John Wesley and Zinzendorf. Because Zinzendorf sometimes went crazy a bit read their story. It's very, very interesting. I hope this gives you an imagination of, of, of mission. Mission is costly. Mission will cost you. Mission will cost you. You know, we had to actually get someone from Zimkul to come and watch our baby. Because this weekend we are not at home. We had to deal with that. That There's no option. Let's call someone from home to come and watch Unati
1: while we are busy and it costs
0: and if you are reconciled with cost of the mission, things begin to fluidly flow so we have to be reconciled with that cross
1: thing that this thing costs this thing will hit your flesh hard it's a given, it's part of the package this thing will cost you
0: it will require change in things Change in budgets, change in time, change in your weekend. It's a require stuff. So, just to ins- be inspired, read about these guys. Man, it's like a movie. Or if you don't want to read, let me make you cheat. On YouTube, you can just type Zinzendorf. There will be various people who talk about his life. You can type John Hurst. Actually, the writer of this book, during COVID, he took a project of just telling the stories. So he basically says, even if you don't buy my book, I will go on YouTube for free. I will talk about these men so that you can be inspired to understand what cost his mission is. Amen. Are we good? So mission and sacrifice. We must be reconciled with these things. We must be reconciled with these things. Number two, mission, change and transformation. I stole this from Mess. When Mess was praying, the other day, he says, I changed and I transformed. I started thinking about it. In my mind, there's no difference between transformation and change. What's going on here? Is Mess trying to be cute with us here? What's going on? (laughs) But as I began to pray and think around this, I began to find out what exactly it meant. I hope it meant that, but for me, this is what it meant. So mission requires change and transformation. So, I want us to just go with each other. I won't read Meditating, but all of us know Meditating, right? So, the kingdom is like a man who went out to sow a seed, right? And then Jesus explains later the seed is the Word of God, right? So, you can go read this. So, one, the Word is like a seed, the life of a believer is like a field planted with seeds, convictions. So your life is like a field
1: with a lot of seeds, a portfolio of convictions. And believers around your life and the world eat from that field. This
0: is the attitude of mission. So I want us to go through this a bit so that we can go back home and practicalize certain things. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to think through this since Mess was praying about this. So, what do you do when you actually want to plant? Okay, there are precursors before we plant. One, planting happens because the season is right. And I can declare to you right now, LSA, the season for kingdom humanity, not as proclamation, as expression, is now. The season is determined by God. That means God has set up everything to make this word fruitful in your life. It's a season for it, meaning there is grace, anointing, baptism. There is everything in the spirit. It's almost like when it's summer. When it's summer, if you plant millimili maize, it will grow. Even if you throw it there, it will grow because the season is right. So I can declare to you that this is the season of kingdom humanity. Meaning for us to become like Christ and form in our humanity, in our devotion, in our citizenship, this is the time. Amen. So before the word or when the word comes, one of the things it signifies or it indicates is that the season has come. Amen. So when the word comes, it's also coming with making you understand that it's a season for that word. Amen. So before we even get to the planting part, when the word is proclaimed, it's telling you something. Or if you don't understand, then you will miss the season. Usually that's what happens. When you don't understand that the word is not coming just to you, it's coming to tell you about the time you live in. Amen. When the word of God is proclaimed, it's not just about changing your life. It's telling you also about the reality of the world you live in. What is God actually up to? So seasons are revealed by the word of God. Amen. So before a a farmer plants,
1: one of the things they check is season. So when
0: the word of God becomes available, it's beginning to tell you something. Amen. Number two, before a farmer plants, he must have the seed. That means you must receive the word you must know. Actually, a farmer will never
1: move sometimes when he doesn't have the seed.
0: There's no point of clearing your land when you don't have the seed. So it means I actually have identified this thing I'm going to plant. It is that thing that I possess that moves me to action. Let's go again. It is possessing the seed. It is that conviction that it is time for this thing that makes me move to action. So, one of the things that the farmer does is clear the land.
1: Clearing the land is removing things that are not needed there.
0: So it's when we talk about change. This is not transformation. Let's not confuse changes with transformation. Let's not confuse changes. This is this is this is changing the environment. This is changing friends, changing timetable, changing your route, removing things. That are not supposed to be in your garden at that time. I don't know what it is for you. But you must identify the things you must clear out. And God can help you. I actually like the idea of clearing with fire. You know sometimes God baptizes you. You begin to see things in your life that are not supposed to be there. Just because the spirit of God came on you. So. And sometimes it's other people. That come and help you clear. So it's not only God who helps you clear. Other people can tell you. Look man. You need to remove that thing in your life. And sometimes that thing is not a wrong thing. It's just not a correct thing in that season. It is not good to plant with that thing in that place. So we have to clear the land. You have to go and roam around your life and say, what are things that are actually taking away the attention from the word of God? They need to be cleared out. Conversations will help you clear things up. So, clearing is the first change. So, these are changes. This is not transformation. Sometimes when we, 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 we let go of something, we think we've changed. We, we think we've transformed. We've not transformed. We've just started a process towards transformation. Okay? So, clearing things that don't need to be there. That's number one. Number two, tilt the land. Now, clearing things that are sitting Tend the soil. And again, tending the soil can be done individually, can be done with the help of significant crazy, can be done by others as well. People can help tilt your heart, you know, and poke you a bit. See if you still get easily angered, you know. You have the patience. you know. Tilting the soil, removing things like anger, envy, lust, whatever that needs to be tilted deep, remove it. Whatever pathway that needs to be closed, close it. Tilting makes the place clear. You know, sometimes you tilt a garden. There are pathways. When you tilt it, you remove even the pathways that have been there historically. So what is soul preparation for you? What is that thing that you begin to say, this this thing has been in my life for a very long time. It's been a thing for me. But since I'm preparing for this seed of mission, I'm going to remove this road. So tilting has
1: to do with removing things that are established. The
0: other one is removing things that are just in, you know, obvious. This one has to do with stones and deep weeds and these are things that have been in your life for ages. Cultures, way of thinking. About various things. It could be thinking about your time, about your spouse, about your children, about your home. There
1: are attitudes that you care that needs to be tilted out.
0: That are not suitable for mission. So you need to kind of check attitudes. Maybe why don't I have more believers friends? It's just a culture of your life. That's why believers are not
1: your friends. That's how it is.
0: There are attitudes you have towards believers. That's why you don't have believers friends. That's just how it is. If you wanted a believer friend, you'll find one. There are attitudes that makes you find believer friends. Spaces you create. Environments you craft to welcome people in your space that you may find friends who will refresh you. So tilting has to do with turning the soil, finding out why this thing is not the way it's supposed to be. So
1: tilting is not like clearing. Clearing is easy, i assure you. Very easy. You can just put fire, boom, cleared. But fire
0: doesn't remove the weeds. Old attitudes, your way of life, that you've had for ages, that is actually preventing you to embrace mission and embrace the fullness of the word of God in your life. So we have to tilt the soil and prepare the soil. I mean, it's a tedious work, I tell you. You know, when you're doing it with this, It feels like you are finding things, I mean rocks, stuff. You you begin to get irritated. That's how crazy it is. And things, sometimes the things that are stubborn. There's a tree in my house. It's a it's a quarter pear tree. Shark's man. That thing grows without even having leaves. Imagine that thing. It just grows, it has leaves without you're like, I've cut the tree.
1: No, it still has leaves. And I'm determined I'm going to remove that
0: thing. I want to put some, something there. So tilting is that. It's finding a stubborn thing and because you have a mission of removing it. Again, that's not transformation. That's change. Things you need to change. These are just changes. Removing the tree, removing the weeds, removing the stones, removing. you are still actually preparing <laughs> the soil. Sometimes this is the, one of the costliest things in farming. To just prepare the soil. So, go identify things that are culture, that have been old, that are just not consistent with the life that God has to give you now. Friendships. Your routines. You know, some, some routines are just crazy. It's just a routine. It's just a thing. You didn't even, it just came. You don't even know how it came about. It's just there. You know that I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to do this. So, tilt that out.
1: It's a routine. And you know yourself. You know
0: this. I know my routine. I know that this routine. This one needs a routine. Needs, you know. So, machinery, like serious stuff. Like, you know. Um, No, but this is true. We're humans. We know this. Just a, a routine, you know. Even if people disturb it, you kind of change your face. They disturb that routine. That's the routine that is preventing you to have new friends. It's that your routine. So preparing the soil has to do with the changes you make that uproot stuff. So you want to prepare the soil. I'm sure there are things that are coming in your mind that you can note down and say, yeah, prepare the soil. Fencing. Boundaries.
1: Boundaries. Those who farm know this. If there's no
0: boundaries around your garden... Hey, things come. Eh? <laughs> you need to build new boundaries. People need to kind of see the environment that there is activity that is actually taking place in there. Boundaries also do the thing of highlighting. Boundaries highlight. It makes people kind of, when they approach, they're like, hey, there's a boundary here. They become aware that there's a difference between being outside Solon's world and being in Solon's world. So a boundary begins to make people know distinction and know that now I've come into certain souls' world.
1: Things flow like this here. So
0: boundaries gives you authority. Once you put boundaries, you can begin to say, hey, not. you don't do this here. And they, they know here is where. Here is between that boundary and here and outside. Outside, yes. Here, no. So boundary has to do with what we call control. It's quality of life. If you want good quality of life, you must have boundaries. I'm not talking about chasing people away. I know you don't hear me that way. It's kind of a control system of m- moving of things. Sometimes we put nets. We don't just do this only. Sometimes we put nets around the garden. Sometimes we put plastic on top. The sun can be too hot for some plants. So we're trying to manipulate the environment to suit what we're trying to do. So a boundary has to do with quality control. It's not chasing people away. It has to do with what I'm doing inside here. So what boundaries do you need to erect? This has to do with just embracing the seed. We have not planted yet. We're just aware of the kind of seed we need to plant. We're beginning to create an environment that will make the seed fruitful.
1: Remember we said your life as a believer,
0: it's where other believers will eat from and the world will eat from. So you have an end in mind of fruitfulness. Boundaries. And then we plant. Finally we plant. I and mean, finally we are beginning to do certain applications of the word. We are beginning to meditate even more on the word. And the word is beginning to show us what we need to do. We are meditating more. But now you can't meditate when there's that chaos. You know those things. Those things you have to remove. There will be no meditation time until those things go. I know this. Everybody knows this. There is no meditation time until the, that taking out happens. Taking out a routine. That's why I'm saying these things are real. I'm sure you are seeing them in your space as sharks. That's why my prayer life is bad. It's that routine. That's why my devotion is bad. That's why my reading of the scriptures is bad. That's why my catching up is bad. So, 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 so planting a seed is when you're beginning to do what we call spiritual disciplines of the faith. That's planting now. We're putting the thing on the ground. It could be fasting, praying, meditating, hanging out, picking up a phone call and say, hey, I just want to talk about Sunday's meeting. I just, Oh, I just want to pray about one thing, you know? Sometimes in life you pray about one thing you had on Sunday. Just one. So sometimes we do this when we have not done this, this, and this. Meaning there are a lot of distractions. That means your prayers are not being fruitful. Your reading of the word is not fruitful because there's just a lot of other things that are not supposed to be there. That means
1: we do, we do not know the quality of the word we carry. Are we good? Planting.
0: So these are, and still, these are changes. It's not transformation. Uh, uh, You've changed. Yes, you've changed. You haven't transformed. Let's be clear about this. These are changes. And then there's watering and weeding and harvesting. This is transformation. Transformation is when something new that was not there before miraculously begins to just boom. You know when things grow and I plant stuff, I know when there was nothing there and then boom the excitement that I can see the head coming out and that thing is weak, hey? I I must take care of it. Transformation, when it begins to emerge. you know your life, you know when you're beginning to have new attitudes and you're beginning to be more loving and you're beginning to be more friendly. You know you. And you know that there are other things that are challenging this thing. So that's why watering, weeding is very important when transformation begins to happen. Transformation is that thing that is produced by God. Let's be clear on that. It's not your actions. Your actions were faith. You were expressing your faith. Expressing your faith in changing things. Making that phone call. You you were making, that was faith in action. Then God responds. Boom. You begin to become more loving. Boom. You begin to have a friend who just calls you out of the blue and says, how are you doing? Like, hey. Transformation has, has to do with you, but it's not produced by you. So when I'm transformed, I know this. I say, God, thank you for a friend. I know. It's God who brought this person. I know this. Thank you, God, for being loving. I know. I was not loving. I know this. I know me, and I know that this thing that is coming here in my heart of thinking about other people is not me. It's the work of God. That's why we don't have to pretend as believers. We can actually do changes so that God can produce something. So all these other steps are faith. Faith without works is dead, right? These are your
1: works of faith. And then,
0: even watering is part of the works of faith. Watering is a big faith step. You know that farmers plant without knowing if rain is coming or not. They plant in faith
1: and they believe that rain is going to come.
0: And rain is resources from different people. Your your, your routines of the faith. I hope you have imagination. I'm trying to stir up your, your missional engagement in your space. Your missional engagement in your where you are. That you can actually be on a mission because you are weeding things out. You are doing things. Because you want to produce this. And then this is transformation.
1: I mean look at the difference. That's transformation. That's the harvest.
0: So if ever we are saying God transform me. We are saying God strengthen me. Take me on a journey of faith to make changes, to remove things, to build boundaries, to plant stuff. So you can't be saying oh God transform me and then that's it. Faith for change has a lot of actions in it. So this is connected to mission because the issue is that people won't come to actually hear just the word. I realized this yesterday. The thing we're declaring has nothing to do
1: with the words we speak. It has to do with the life that we carry, the quality of life we carry. That's the distinction. It has to do with this. In our manhood, womanhood, marriages, raising our children, our workspaces, this is the thing we're looking for. Are we good? That's why I'm encouraging you to find some inspiration. To see these guys doing their thing. I will go to these pictures. This is your life. So
0: we want to do this. I want to hear the word of God and be aware of the convictions in our life. I want to prepare the soil and plant the seed. I want to water and continuously care
1: for the soil so there could be harvest. Mission requires this. Mission requires this. It becomes our
0: conversation. It becomes a prayer point. That, hey, I'm getting that tree out. It is hard. It's an attitude from home. We are all
1: like this at home. Actually, if I remove this, I
0: will feel strange. My my siblings will think I'm strange. Because this is how we talk. <laughs> and they begin to realize the way you guys
1: talk it's not the way other people talk to humans.
0: I'm just telling you the truth. Millennials are pick on this. They they are. Their attitude around respectfulness is not there. That's them. So when a millennial gets saved, they need to deal with the way they talk to humans.
1: To them, it's normal.
0: It's normal. So th- the changes. So when Mess was praying, when Mess was saying, God, I had to make changes and I got transformed. That means I was faithful with the changes to get to transformation, to get to
1: that place where God produces that miracle I want. And this mission requires... So, our action points, all these things that have been given, have to be sitting on this.
0: Our action points are good, are part of that whole thing of planting and whatever. We've written the thing down. It's available. There it is. We're able to proclaim it. Clearly. We, we, we have the booklet. We have the... We even actually put the poster now as a banner. You see?
1: There it is. We have the form. But all this must sit on this. At least a process.
0: The beauty about farming is that you get joy when you start. There's a joy in committing to actually plant. It's just a thing. It just comes with touching soil and everything. Refreshing. It's just one of those activities that you can even do alone. People can come and go, but you can can enjoy them. It's the same thing with your life. You can be committed to a process. People can come and... Go. But you are committed to this process. You want to see the fruit. And you know the fruit you expect. Remember, you planted an apple tree. You want to see an apple fruit. So you are very clear that this is an apple process. And the beauty of it is that it's a process. We don't expect it to transform overnight, but we do expect changes. And let's be clear. We don't expect it to transform overnight, but we do want to see faith. Changes. That say you are pursuing transformation. Amen. That's what John the Baptist said to those guys. Why are you coming here when you have not even started to actually change? Why are you committing to this word when there is no sense that you've received the word? So our reception of the word has to be proven by faith, by our changes. Our changes are our big victories, little victories. Anyone who's ever actually changed a very serious behavior knows this. There are behaviors that can just dead you. I just look at you and say, what? I've been here for 17 years. What are you talking about? You want me to move? <laughs> I one day yeah, you move the thing. The next day you've forgotten that you've moved it. You are back with it. I'm talking about behavioral change, changes that habits that are just there that will always poke you. A road, you know, those walkways that are not built by. People have been walking there for a very long time. It takes a lot to actually make people stop walking there. You must block the road, cut the grass, make sure that grass grows back there. This is how tough this thing is. And what's tough is that God has to make that grass grow. It's not you. It's not the stopping the people. It's not God has to make it grow. And that's the challenge that we usually have with transformation. We think... Changes are going to make the thing move fast. No. It does not move fast because you want it now. It's just the way God designed it. It's a process. It means we have to have attitudes around this. Grace. Patience. Love. Love for yourself. Because when you're changing, sometimes you cannot like yourself. I know this. You just hate yourself a bit. Lord, I don't like me. I hate me now. I hate this behavior. So we have to have grace, attitudes that really make us walk joyously in transformation. Walk joyously
1: in transformation. It makes this thing nice. Now you have something to
0: reflect on, testify about, and even impart. That means the circle of life is not run by the past.
1: The cycle of engagement is run by you.
0: Your life. What you are doing. Your faith. The changes you're making. The transformation you're beginning to see. So, this will be activated by us being really fruitful. Or engaging the process towards fulfillment.
1: Cycle of engagement. And it's going to be powerful. I assure you. One engagement we had... It was partly testifying about New Year's
0: resolutions. It exploded in our meeting. You know, just the changes around New Year's resolution. She dropped the bomb on us. Everybody was clear about New Year's resolution. like a revelation. Everybody was sorted. And we worship God around it. She imparted something in us from her own process. This is what the cycle of engagement looks like. You are bringing this thing. And it doesn't have to get here. Even this can be a moment. Even this can be a moment. All these changes, because remember, these changes are inspired by conviction. These are seeds. So it makes this place full of the Holy Spirit and testimony and impartation. And people walk away, like I walk away with prayer and went and think about it.
1: It makes this a reality, not a theory. So I'm hoping that this has activated this for all of us.
0: You'll be enabled to outreach, you'll begin to sacrifice. And farming requires a lot of sacrifice, I assure you. The cost there is too much. I mean, your skin changes, and your wife begins to say, What's wrong with you?
1: It's costly. You
0: buy boots you never bought before. You buy gloves. Things you've never thought of having. You start having them. You never have storage. You begin to have storage. You begin to worry about people stealing your tools.
1: It's a costly endeavor. I know this. I know you, I know, you know this. I will tell you about pigs and farming. So This,
0: this is the reality. It will make this rollout out powerful you'll be rolling things out. You will be doing a rollout in your kitchen around a tea, and doing a rollout there. And you're just rolling out your process empowered by the word of kingdom.
1: So we have to collectively own this. The going out. Because we need to do this. Amen.
0: This is what we want to do. I am so excited. That's why I actually said to Robert before he left that God is a a humor. He's making us go to these hundreds and something pastors without you around. That's a serious humor. (laughs) No, Pastor is not there. You can't even say Pastor, Pastor. He's not there. He's overseas. He's overseas. You have to deliver your process, your change. Your life has to be the one that witnesses of the life that God has been building inside of me. It brought us to a new place of confidence. It brought us into participation that we can collectively carry. And it's not because it's past. It's not because it's past. It's just are ability to carry something that other people have been carrying alone for a very long time. And you begin to say, I want to carry it. too. I want to carry it in my running with the bodies that I run with. I want to carry it. I want to carry it. Maybe one last thing. On Monday, I'm meeting friends of mine that are busy with campus ministry because I just want to share with them what I want us to carry together. So it has to do with changing routine. It means my Monday changes because we have to meet almost
1: every Monday. So I don't know
0: what changes you are making for the mission, but it has to be real. It has to be something you can come and reflect with us. I want to visit your house and we have a, a mini cycle of engagement. Tell me some stories. I love stories. I told you a lot of stories today. There's a lot of, I even read some stories. You know, stories are nice. They're encouraging. You walk out full of faith with stories. There's an old man I listen to. His name is John Ali. I mean, this old man has stories for days. Hey, when I listen to your stories, I come back full of Jesus. (laughs) Oh man, we need to listen to him some more. He will tell you a story because it's literally he's sharing really life. What is actually taking place inside of him. So I want to know what is taking place inside of you. So we can have a very powerful reflection and testimony and impartation. I want your life to impart something inside of me. I want your life to be this. I can walk around your life and and eat some fruit. And you can tell me stories about, hey, that line, Mr. Mafun, we're producing this. It was tough, hey? Telling stories about something that has been produced, how tough it was. Or something in process that, hey, this thing is coming, but it hasn't come yet. Amen. We want to be like this. We want to be full of mission. We want to all participate. I want to all participate. I want stories. I mean, if I was telling me stories, I was like, yeah, nice stories. I'm energized. I want to go do some more stories for myself. You know? The book of Acts is stories. I know sometimes when you read the Bible, you think it's like, it's stories. Luke just wrote them. And you read them, you're like, wow.
1: So whatever you get wild about your story. I want to go, wow. This happened. We need to write it down some. Amen. Let's stand now. We want to have stories.